Rogers Business App Market brings together the right apps for your business and wraps it all up with Rogers world-class support. Microsoft Office 365 makes it easy. Whether you need to securely store and backup files, access or share documents in the cloud, collaborate with your team or manage your business from anywhere and on any device. Plus, with support from Rogers, you'll get everything up and running quickly. To learn more, visit rogers.com forward slash business apps. Scotiabank understands that business is personal and your business has unique needs. That's why we offer flexible solutions for your business banking. Create your own business banking package that works for you by opening an account online in minutes with ease and start saving today. Visit scotiabank.com forward slash small business to get started. Building your dream, work-life balance, scaling up, discussing the topics that matter most to entrepreneurs. He's Rivers Corbett on the Startup Canada podcast. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. On this show, we connect you with the most innovative and entrepreneurial movers, shakers, and change makers across Canada. With day-in-the-life stories and in-their-shoes experiences, we dive into the true grit of running startup and scale-up companies and those driving the entrepreneurial movement. The Startup Canada podcast show is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 2.3 million entrepreneurs. If you are a regular show listener, welcome back. If you're new to the program, hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes and Google Play Music and visit startupcan.ca to connect with both your local startup community and to join Startup Canada to access training, resources, and a peer network to grow your success. I'm Rivers Corbett and entrepreneurship is part of my DNA. Whether it's building my own companies or helping other entrepreneurs build theirs, this is my lane. Want to connect after the podcast? You can find me at www.meetrivers.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, really excited to uh, have my next guest on the Startup Canada podcast for all kinds of reasons. One of them is that she hung out with a company that's based out of Fredericton, New Brunswick, where this podcast is being recorded today. Uh, and uh, has just, uh, Sophie has just had an amazing, amazing journey, and I know we're going to get into an epic conversation. Uh, so uh, Sophie Forlier is a major contributor behind the evolution of angel investment sector in Canada. She brings more than 20 years of experience in the high-tech venture and capital industry and is today managing partner of BrightSpark, which is the leading early-stage internet, media, and software venture capital firm in Canada that offers hybrid deal models of VC and angel investing opportunities. During her career as a venture capitalist, she has led or overseen more than 50, that's right, 50 investments in technology companies in Canada. She also played a played a pivotal role in growing Radiant 6, which was acquired by Salesforce in 2011 for U.S. dollars, $326 million. That's 23 times the capital invested in one of the most successful tech company exits in Canadian history. Sophie currently sits on the board of directors of Centech, the accelerator program of ETS in Montreal, and Wavefront, an accelerator based in Vancouver for mobile and I 
OT startups and companies. She also sits on the board of directors of a number of companies, including Hopper, Jeweler, Nguvu, Classcraft, and others. And on today's show, we're going to talk to Sophie about how angel investing can grow and open up more doors in the Canadian tech ecosystem. Sophie Forvey, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast show. Ah, thank you. Welcome. Yeah, how'd you? What'd you think of that intro? Pretty, uh, pretty representative of your journey so far. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty representative, <laughs> but it's always humbling to some extent because we always say we're as yeah. good as our last success or our last failure. So with venture capital, <laughs> you need to stay humble. Yeah, you sure do. Well, and uh, I appreciate that uh, that that sense. I know when I get read my bio, I'm like, is that really me? Did I do that? And uh, so, so great stuff. And I, I want to dig first of all into something near and dear to me in our in our uh, province, uh, Radiant Six. Can you talk about um, what Radiant Six? is or was when it started and uh, i remember the days of basements and uh, dave alston and those guys just kind of hanging out um when did you were you involved right from the very beginning with radiant six what was radiant six attempting to do and can you take us through a little bit of a journey of that one yes we um we invested in radiant six um not too long after uh, Jerry Pound invested invested in the company, he was the first one. Uh, yes. As you know, Jerry has been very active in the seed stage, uh, supporting uh, early stage company, and Radiant Six was one of them. Um, it was, I think, four or five guys when we invested: um, Chris mm. Ramsey, Chris Newton, uh, obviously Marcel uh, and and David. And um, and they were their vision when they came to us. Their vision was social. Media will become huge, and companies need to uh, be able to be aware of what's happening on their brand online and be able to uh, control and influence what's happening on their on their brand online. And they were one of the few first one to come with that concept and use all the data and the algorithm to be able to guide and predict what was going to happen to companies. So we, we went in very early. I think the key for us in that company was seeing the size of the opportunity, um, mm-hmm. the eagerness of the team, the smarts of the team, uh, and then just dump, jumping in into something that, that we thought could be huge. And uh, I was on the board of the company for many years, was really involved when the company went through all the potential acquisition offer and we ended up actually doing the deal with Salesforce Uh, and the team was was just amazing and I think that what was the main differentiator with with, uh, Radiant 6 is the fact that we had mature experience and devoted team which is sometimes really hard to find. Yeah, I and what have you taken from your your journey with Radiant Six that has uh, that has bridged to other opportunities that you've explored and ultimately uh, invested in with uh, with Brightspark? I guess the main takeaway, and actually, I do talk a lot to uh, my partner Mark about it, is um, is the fact that. Although we know as venture capitalists um, all the time that the only thing that matters is really the team, sometimes you deviate from that and you don't, you, you say, mm. oh, that's a great technology. I'm not so sure about that team, but you know what? It's, you know, it's, um, it's a great team. So, so um, it, you know, it's a great technology, so we should support it. And I think with Radiant 6, it was so obvious that the core, 
quality of the team, their focus, their desire to win, and uh, and the, the just sheer amount of work they put into this was the key to success. Um, I remember at the board of Reading Six, um, you know, we used to have a, a board meeting every month, and every month we used to do the list of competitors. Um, yes. And the list was existing competitors and newcomers. So newcomers would be any new company in their field in the last 30 to 60 days. Well, that list was hundreds. There was every two months, there was hundreds of newcomers in their field. So, and they won. And why? Because they were focused, heads down, and, um, and, and you know, they knew what they were doing, and they always st- stayed a- ahead of the curves um, in that market. So that, that learning for me translates into a lot of the choices I make in investing. Brilliant. I, I want to touch on that competitive analysis. We don't really talk a lot about competitive analysis on the show. And I, I would love to get your insight as to why that monthly analysis, one, was important to you, but two, what were some of the key takeaways that you were, were looking for uh, in that list? Or not? maybe not looking for, but ultimately it taught you, I guess. Well, I think... A company that would, you know, goes through such a process and see there's hundreds of competitors and everything could could get scared, panicked, mm-hmm. um, and um, and it's actually the opposite. What we need to look at is to say, okay, what's our core advantage? What are, what's our core product? Why are we winning customers? What's happening in the market, and how can we stay ahead? So I think it's always the combination when you're a startup of. Um, you know, focusing on what you're doing and, and, you know, running with it and not focusing too much on what others are saying and doing. And at the same time, staying paranoid all the time. You need to be paranoid mm. that people will catch you up. So you're kind of running and looking back once in a while to make sure they're not catching up. So I think it's, uh, it's more of an art than a science to make sure you find an equilibrium there. And Radiant 6 was really good at doing that. And one more question on Radiant Six, and then we're going to move on to uh, you know the the angel and the uh, and the uh, the the VC worlds and so on. But I'm curious about uh, when you when you met every single month. Um, what was there was there a, a, an agenda that was specifically this that was the same? I mean, obviously the competitive piece was the same, but I'm trying to give our audience a sense of this is what they can expect from good angel VC investors to want to put together on a monthly basis. This is what we're, we're going to want to learn each and every month. Yeah, I think every company is different. Um, the case of Reading Six, I would say the team was very organized and very structured. I do have other mm-hmm. investment where the team is less structured and it also works. So I think it depends on the team. But I think as an investor, you want key elements. So you want to see um, how's the how the business is doing in general. Um, you know, in terms of either product release, growth, revenue, customers, pipeline things that are like main topics to kind of get a sense of where the business is going but you don't want to spend the entire meeting on that you want to make sure you reserve a big portion of that meeting looking forward so um, where are we going what's the strategic moves we should make and what is the company 
company most worried about. Like in the case, for example, of Radiant mm. 6, there was a period where one of their biggest challenges was hiring. You know, based in Fredericton, lots of talent, good university, so it was very positive for them. But at the same time, they were growing so fast that it was hard for them to hire the like 20, 30 people they were trying to hire every month or every two, two months. So strategies mm. on that to say, how oh, can we accelerate? What should we do? Should we go to another, you know, open a, an office in another city? Should we acquire a company? Mm-hmm. Should we do that? So I'm just giving that as an example. It can be something completely right. different for another company. But focus on what's your key challenges to grow? What should you focus on? And then thirdly, maybe even bigger picture, um, what piece of the market am I addressing? And am I a critical piece? Can I be bigger? You know, there was periods where we were discussing a lot, you know, are we going to become the CRM? You know, social is so big. All the CRMs were built. All the CRMs were built for customer relationship, but everything was becoming social. And social tools and social platforms were becoming so big that you could have thought, well, actually, maybe you can grow this to be so significant and you're you're looking at the problem from such a different angle that you're going to be the one acquiring Salesforce, for example. I'm just making this big mm, statement. Mm. But so you want to... Yeah, no, right on. Yeah, I get you, you need to have time to talk about the bigger picture to think, okay, are we focusing on the right stuff? Is there something bigger I could be doing uh, or faster or more aggressive? And you want your board and your investors to be able to contribute on that discussion. Yeah, very nice. Thank you so much for allowing us to take that journey with you on that. Um, you've been in the in the venture capital industry for more than twenty years. Um, I uh, I want to know what 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 tweaked your interest to get into this world. Um, you know what? Um, I think it's like. What you need when you're investing, we always say, and that you cannot control, is luck and timing. So I think in my case, getting into venture cap was a bit of that. So I actually met someone in the early 90s. It's been more than 20 years. I think it's 25 years, but I don't count anymore because it makes me look too old. But um, I met someone that was just starting a venture capital firm in Quebec, a private firm. And it was one of the first one. And I had a training in science and finance. And he he, he needed somebody to join the team to help him, you know, get started and look at the various companies and so on and offered me uh, to join. And I, I just jumped in. But it was a bit of luck coincidence. And I guess a lot of entrepreneurial spirits on my part because there was no venture capital industry. It was completely new. Yeah, wonderful. Well, it really uh, talked about the evolution of angel investing in Canada. One of the things that uh, BrightSpark does is it offers a hybrid deal model of VC and angel investing opportunities. What's the rationale with combining VC and angel investing? Um, yeah, that's an interesting question because we, my partner, uh, Mark Skepinker and myself have been thinking about that for a while. Um, we kind of realized that there was a perfect storm currently, um, and I'll explain it. Um, there's a big disruption happening in the market because a lot of the returns right now in the market um, are in the tax 
tech field. So think about the public market and so on and so forth. And a lot of the tech companies actually don't go public. And if they go public, they go public very, very late in their life cycle. Think about Uber, Airbnb, and so on. And a lot of the value Mm -hmm. creation has has been created before they go public. So for private investors to get access to great returns in tech, it's becoming harder and harder because what can, I mean, mind you, you can make a lot of money buying Apple stock, but if you want to get access to a diversified uh, offering, it's really hard because a lot of the explosion and disruption it is happening in the private. So with the possibility of you know information being easy more easily shareable online the fact that a lot of the you know legal process and so on and so forth is also much easier now with you know some democratization on the on the web and so on and so forth it became obvious to us that, that it was possible to democratize VC and because we've got the expertise there and we thought really the private returns in tech is happening in the VC world. Individuals don't have access to that. There's a great opportunity to kind of merge the two and offer individual, in our case, only accredited investors. So it's only uh, available mm. for people that meet the accredited investor criterion, but they can invest in private deals alongside VCs in an asset class that they could not access before. Brilliant. Brilliant. Are, are you one of the the only organization that's that's doing this uh, this com- this combination, uh, or are more and more uh, organizations starting to adopt that that approach? Well, there is, I would say, maybe two more um, known and mature group doing it, but from a different perspective. So we are the only one that comes from the VC world. So we're the only one that uh, we've been VCs for a long time. And basically what we said is instead of raising a big institutional fund, like our previous funds were big, big pension funds and banks and government and so on that gave us money and we invested over a long period of time. Um, we said um, we instead of raising that, we'll raise money for every deal and we'll offer it to individuals. So we're the only one that comes from that part of the, uh, of the ecosystem. There is other people that offer VC or private deals to individuals, but some of them come from the angel community. So it's more, they were an angel and they decided to, Angelist would be an example. Um, Our crowd would be an example where the founder was a really prolific angel and built this this massive group where they offer VC deals, but they don't have the VC background necessarily and process and so on uh-huh. where we're a VC so everything that we do on the investment side of things is really VC grade we do due diligence all of our deals we co-invest with other VCs with private equity firms and so on and so forth so that part is very different but the fact that people can access there's a few platforms now where they can access um, different deals around the world how do you um, how do you find the uh, the deals that um, one w- people would be presenting to you? How do they bring them to you? And what's the what's the what are, what are you looking for? And then how do you ultimately uh, ultimately vet them? You talked about team and some other elements, but I'm I'm curious as to your your process so that our listeners who might be interested in in um, in BrightSpark are saying, okay, I qualify, so they can now start to uh, to connect with you and and your and your company. 
Yeah, a lot of our deal flow is through reference. Um, I mean, the tech ecosystem in Canada, as you know, is not that huge. I mean, I think it's growing very nicely. Mm. But, you know, entrepreneurs tend to know the few players that have money and want to invest. So it's not, we're not really hard to find. And if you send us an email uh, with, uh, you know, you're an entrepreneur, you have a business or you're raising money and so on, for sure, we'll have a look. And we do meet a lot of people um, that come to our door and wants to present present ideas and businesses so we, we you know we participate in the ecosystem we know people we share with other vcs so the deal flow is kind of the obvious natural ways that you would find with other vcs um, in terms of what we look for and who should come to us for deals i like i always like to tell entrepreneurs there's there's two kinds of businesses if you're looking at it from a investment and financing perspective there there's the VC type businesses and there's, I, I'll call them lifestyle, but it's actually not ne negative. It's okay. the lifestyle business. And the often the mistake that entrepreneurs um, have is they're building a lifestyle business and they come to a VC. Usually the match is not right. good. And what I qualify as a lifestyle business, it's a nice business. They have revenue. They can pay themselves a nice salary. They're going to have growth. They're going to you know, make nice dividends and potentially sell the business for $10 million. And that's about the scenario that is the most likely with their business. This is really a mistake yes. to go get VC because a VC business will, VC investor will completely increase the risk of your business. He's going to say, I don't want to sell this business for $10 million. It's not worth the risk, not worth my time. If I'm going to invest in that business, I need to think it's going to be worth $400 million. And to do that, you need to right. attack a bigger market. You need to be more aggressive. You need to spend more money and so on and so forth. And sometimes yeah, it's just not the type of business where you want to do it. So we're looking. Do you find? Yeah. Sorry, I do, and, and sorry when you when I don't want to interject there. Do you find that a lot of lifestyle businesses get caught up in the in the in the hockey stick opportunity, so that they say, "Okay, I'm, I'm going to don't go for it," even though they might not be ready for it, and then they ultimately end up regretting their decision. Um, yeah, and I think part of the challenge is it's hard. For a tech business, I think it's slowly changing because, you know, tr traditional investor realize that the, you know, the market is becoming tech. So everything is kind of tech. But for a, a technology business that is more lifestyle, and if they're at a part of their growth where they need capital, there's not many sources. So there's angels, mm. there's VCs, sometimes banks don't get involved and so on and so forth. So they just go by default. Right because there's money there and they need money. Um, and, and I totally understand that, but they don't realize it comes with a cost. And the cost is they're not there to make, you know, a 10% return over, 10, over five years. They'd rather make either zero or five times their money. It's kind of a different, different beast. And, uh, and some businesses, Businesses are really great for that, and that's what they need, and they need capital to fuel uh, their growth, and they have the, the huge market and the huge potential. Some business don't. So I think that's the first question. And then the, the first question an entrepreneur needs to ask himself, you know, what do I want to do? Where do I want to bring this business? And is VC financing the appropriate financing mode for my business? And then you look at VCs, yeah. VCs and figure out if there's a fit. So, um, 
What's, what about the critical factors in growing, you know, the pie in the Canadian tech ecosystem? And I know that you're a strong advocate for increased women participation in the tech sector. Do you want to talk about that? Because, I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a sector we want to continue to, to grow as an economy, as a country. Uh, but what are some <laughs> factors that maybe we're not doing today that we should be doing as a country uh, to, to grow that, uh, that, that ecosystem? And again, if it's increased uh, women participation, Let's let's dive into that. Yeah, maybe I'll keep the women for the last part of my answer. But I think okay. I think um, aggressiveness and persistence, perseverance. Building a tech company is so hard that you need to be able to jump into it and go through the process and have the desire to succeed and eventually, obviously, to make a lot of money. I think in Canada. Either it's our culture or values that we've, you know, we we tend to uh, absorb ourselves into or, or whatever. It sometimes is less present. I think it's changing because I've been around for so many years that I've seen the change. But I remember in the old days where I used to meet so many companies and a lot of them were from the U.S. And the U.S. entrepreneur would come with his business, pitch it, and be so aggressive about it and so uh, a big risk taker about his business. And the same guy in Canada with the same business would be a lot more conservative. And I think Mm. if you want to grow and succeed in tech, you need to take more risk. You know, it does come with financing, obviously, because if you're auto financing your business, you're focused on cash flow and making sure you can pay your employees. It's a different kind of discussion. But I think being more aggressive, thinking really big, and uh, will will help a lot in terms of building the ecosystem. And I think repeat entrepreneurs. Repeat entrepreneurs for us is mm-hmm. very critical. We've been very successful investing in Radiant Six is, is an example where Marcelo was his second business, and I hope he's gonna he's gonna start another one and you know, take all of that learning and experience and success and, you know, build another company with great value. Um, And, you know, we have other examples in our portfolio where in the U.S., they have a lot more repeat. You know, they start a company and they're very Mm -hmm. successful. They can pause for a year or two and then they do another one, another one, another one. Seems after a point, I mean, maybe the the first business is about the money and the second one is about you know, showing that you can you can do it again, and then after that, it's more about the community and creating value and bringing your 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 partners and your ex employees into something great again, and so on. So it's different goals for repeat entrepreneurs, and usually yes. we found in our portfolio that repeat entrepreneur rate of success is much 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 higher. So if we can have more of those in Canada, we're going to grow the ecosystem system um, significantly. And then you were going to reference uh, women um, entrepreneurs also as, as part of your ending a part of the question. Yeah. So, yes, I think it is growing, growing the ecosystem for sure because, um, you know, 20 years ago, um, I would meet uh, 100 companies and there would be one women CEO leading a tech company. Mm. You know, there would be no women in that field. Um, part of it was cultural, part of it was training, you know, engineering degrees and so on and so forth. Um, it's changing right. significantly in BrightSpark's portfolio right now. You know, we've got 25% of the companies that are led by, by women. 
and we're meeting amazing, amazing um, and, uh, women entrepreneurs leading tech companies, and they have lots of drive. I think they bring uh, they bring something new to the mix. Um, so I think it's increasing the number, and I think it's going to make our companies better. Um, I mean, we're probably at bright the best example because we're a VC where we're 50-50 you know it's me and Mark and we've been yes. like that for 15 yes. years which is by the way uh, absolutely not the case in most VCs in Canada it's mostly white male very homogeneous um, and I, I yes. think we, we make better decisions because we're very different and we look at everything from and, and you know maybe it's not gender specific maybe you can be different um, different uh, make your decision differently and be the same gender that's not what i'm saying but i think it brings this difference to the mix where you look at problems and solution and decision making differently and it just makes you better as a firm and better as a company how that's it's a very interesting point and i want to reference to point of i mean you two obviously have a strong relationship a respectful relationship and and obviously a successful relationship but there's two of you so how do you when you're discussing a major decision that needs to be made is do you have specifics that say okay if this is the issue we're talking about you get veto power and if this is the issue you get veto power how do you how do you break the tie and I'm specifically why I'm asking you this is because I think these these, these whole aspects of bring partners together is 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 such a, a practice that is not well done and uh, and or planned for and so I'm interested in how you two have been able to maintain that longevity in a way that, that keeps you together as partners. Yeah, so I think like right now, Mark and I have two partners in Brightspark. We had a third partner in Fund 2 that we're still working with because he actually became CEO of one of our portfolio companies. So still kind of in the mix in terms of advising and everything. So I can comment from a three partners and a two partners perspective. Okay. And it's actually the same answer. Um, it's very informal. We don't have a rule. Um, I think everything is based on respect. Um, and mm -hmm. that is why it works. So I think there's a lot of respect for what we've done, our experience and what we come from. And we would never do a deal where I'm not comfortable or where Mark is not comfortable, but we don't even need to go there. Like every time we, we, we work on a deal nice. together and we progress and we talk about it, if I'm not comfortable with, you know, and sometimes it's the same topics. It could be management. Like I'm not comfortable with that manager. I'm, there's something wrong. I'm mm -hmm. not feeling right about it. We won't do it. And if it's marked and he doesn't feel right about the technology or he thinks the market is too small or so on, or he has a bad feeling about something, we're just not going to do it. So it's really um, kind of an evolutive process and it's based on respect. I've been many, many, many years ago, I used to work for larger institution where it's much harder to do because you don't choose your partners. So if you're in a, you work for a big mm -hmm. firm or whatever, you might join and there's already people or, you know, the hiring process doesn't necessarily involve you a hundred percent or whatever. So people join and it, you don't know them really well, or sometimes the 100% respect rule is not necessarily there. So it's really hard because then sometimes you disagree on deals, but there's not a respect for the opinion. Like you think that person doesn't like my deal, but you know what? I think he's wrong, right? But if you have a yes. proper partnership yeah. and there's respect for what uh -huh. everybody brings to the table, then it's, ne it's never been an issue for us. It's been 15 years and every deal we – actually, there was one deal 
that we did in fund two. Uh, it was a three partners. Same thing. And uh, the third partner, Tony, uh, came to the table at some point and we were about to finalize a deal. We were like, we really like the technology. Uh, we liked the market. The timing was right. And actually, we were really right on that subject. But we had a question mark on one of the member of the management team. And we had been debating, yes. debating and debating. And he comes and he says, you know what? I do have, there's something telling me about this person that it's not going to work out but we've done a lot of work we like the technology so whatever you guys want i'll support it a hundred percent but i have this feeling you know and we did the deal anyway and he was fine with yes. it and he was you know very respectful and everything and we did regret it because we ended up firing that person and it was a bit messy and interesting yeah so yeah that's very interesting yeah. Very interesting. That's it's. It, it, thank you for again allowing us to take that journey on that that respect piece. I think that's that's critical. But but is it fair to say that that you have your talent within your organization and your partner Mark and your other partner have their talent? You're not you're not all kind of experts in the same area. Or um, is is that fair to say that? Oh, for sure, for sure. I mean, um, yeah. I mean, we've. All of us have done kind of everything on the VC side, but we have areas where we're more comfortable or is something that is more natural for us. So I think, yeah, you know, in right. the case of Mark, he's, he's amazing. He's really good at sizing people, which is very important in a, in a VC role uh -huh. to be able to, you know, understand if the people will be up to the task and persevere and get the right reflex and everything. And he's really good at looking at market and where the market market's going to move and how this technology can insert itself in the market. And I think after that, he's amazing at coaching entrepreneurs and he's got a wealth of experience mm. and so on and so forth. Tony, which is now operating a company, but still was super involved on in the second fund when we did Radiant 6, is more, he's, he's uh, one of the best tech person I know. So he's amazing at uh, understanding technology, seeing where there might be point of failure. He's actually very visionary in seeing trends where the technology is going to go. So making decision on, you know, sometimes you choose a technology and it's going to be misplaced or it's not going to be adopted and so on. So he's really good on that side of things. And I'm more, I would say, the deal maker where negotiating the deals and also working a lot mm -hmm. on the human side of things. How do we interact with uh, with um, with the partners, and then co-investment, working with a co-investor, making sure the dynamic is right, and so on, and sharing the information, um, and then the overall VC perspective, like okay, what's the um, what's the deal? How can we make money? What's the exit? Working on the M and A, and so on and so forth, because I've done that all my life. So that's kind of our key mm -hmm. points, and then we share all of that, and you know, we take the best of, um, of you know. Of, uh, of the three or the two partners in that perspective. Brilliant. Brilliant. I want to end this conversation, this amazing conversation with a little fun. You were, uh, you were one of the judges and investors in the Startup Fest $100,000 prize, um, which was created by the Startup Festival for, uh, with, with the 10 major investors. Um, can you, can you walk, can you take us through that 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 um, exercise, that competition, and maybe some some things you could rep, uh, recommend to our audience if they're into these pitch competitions, these very public 
pitch competitions, not behind closed doors, of some of the things that you would suggest that they do based on your experience at the uh, at the startup festival, a uh, hundred thousand dollar prize competition. Yeah, that price. I think it was a few years ago, but that price is very. Uh, special and different because you basically need to decide that you're going to give $10,000 to a startup within a day. So you have a okay. day, you meet a bunch, um, and then, you know, the way we did it is we met, I don't know how many, but, you know, maybe 100, 10 minutes each. And then, and then you, you, there are some that are more st- that stand out and then you meet them again and you get a fuller pitch. I think there was like 10 finalists and then, and then you choose the one. So it's very condensed. It's not a lot of information. You need to make a decision as an investor based on your gut and on, you know, what you can glance. So I think if you're an entrepreneur and you're going to some of those pitches, and I think there's other iteration of that, uh, you know, that can resemble what, uh, what this uh, 100K price is, is it's, you need to be able to convey your passion in a very short period of time. So, and the ones that end up uh, winning are usually the ones that are very passionate, very lively and present well, because you have mm-hmm. like a few minutes. And if it, within the few minutes, you have not impressed the judge or you said one or two two wrong uh, messages, you're gone, right? And maybe your idea was actually good or your company was good, but you were not able to grasp that you know, within that two minutes, uh, the size of your opportunity are now unique and exciting. And so the ones that did the best um, were really the ones that were able to do what we call the elevator pitch um, yes. in, a, in a very efficient manner. Um, some, of, some of them that are too intellectual and go into too much explanation. Uh, I had one guy, because I did the, if you want to talk fun, you know, I did the... Um, the startup yeah. price, but I also did the elevator pitch price, which is even worse okay. because at Startup Fest, what they do, I don't think they do it anymore, but they used to do it in a physical elevator. So An elevator, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, the, the show was in a big, uh, an old warehouse. So it was this huge warehouse elevator and you were going, the, you were, the, the judge was in the elevator and the startup person would come in. And by the time you go down and up, they need to pitch and then they need to leave. <laughs> there was this guy that came once. It was um, super nervous. Um, he came in and his idea was, I'm going to p- give so much information in that time that for sure I win. So he was talking so fast that I could not understand what he was saying. I swear to God, he was like talking, talking, talking. It was like impossible to understand what he was saying and sweating and very nervous. Oh my God. So we got up and the judge, we all looked at one another. We said, okay, we're going to give you a chance because really we couldn't understand what you were saying. It makes no sense. Start all over again. We'll give you a chance and say half of the stuff you wanted to say, but focus on what matters. So he did a second ride. He didn't win, you know, because he was, uh, he was a bit too nervous, but I mean, so it's, sure. it's not about the amount of information. It's about conveying the, the passion and the critical aspect of your message uh, to, to the judges. Yeah, I, this, this may sound a little bit vulgar as I describe, but when I'm working with people with pitches, I say, don't barf all over me. And that's the first thing I think of this poor guy, just blah, 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 blah. And it's just way too much. You don't need to do that. And you've just reinforced that. Did you did you actually ride up and down the elevator with every one yes. of them? Yes, yes. And how many, how many did you do? How many, I mean, you, you must've got sick after a while. It sounds like a lot of pitches. Well, in that particular event, what they did, I think they had like 
three crews of judges. So um, okay. the elevator was going all day, but I think we did an hour and then we had a break and then another hour. But uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a warehouse elevator, so it was not going super fast, uh, luckily. Uh, okay. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, interesting. That's fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I bet it was. Well, Sophie Fauré, I, uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your time today. It's been a wonderful conversation, a journey on investing, uh, tricks of the trade, uh, um, insight into how you run your business. And uh, and I can see where, uh, where why BDC Capital recognized you as, uh, as Angel of the Year. Congratulations on your journey. Congratulations oh, well, congratulations. On, on it was a great vision. conversation. Yeah, thank you so much, and we'll look forward to the next time we chat. And so, and don't forget, folks, it's Brightspark. Is 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 it Brightspark.com? Yes, Brightspark.com. Oh, okay, perfect. That's where they can go. And uh, yeah, I look forward to the opportunity of meeting you face to face. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Bye bye. Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Canada podcast, a show dedicated to unlocking the entrepreneurial potential of every entrepreneur with access to inspiring stories and tangible lessons to help you run your business. Want access to resources and support to grow your business? Visit startupcan.ca for the latest startup community news and upcoming events like our popular hashtag Startup Chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern. Till next week, I'm Rivers Corbett leaving you with a sneak peek of next week's episode. Hi, I'm Chris Prendergast, CEO of Jamstack, and you're listening to the Startup Canada podcast with Rivers Corbett. Yeah. Yeah, the proverbial why not you know some people ask why some people ask the other question and then the other ones say why not go ahead and uh, and deal with it and that's exactly what you do so you did so so take us take us through the um you know the first iteration of jamstack sure yeah actually very very first it was actually a custom uh guitar so i ah. I, I drilled i uh i had a, a spare travel guitar and i uh i drilled a huge hole in it <laughs> and uh put in some some speakers uh that that i that i bought um just like aftermarket speakers and 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 did some custom wiring underneath all the pick guard there's like lots of space there I had to chisel away a bunch of extra space <laughs> and uh i had a we had a 3d printer at the school so i 3d printed a phone mount and drill nice. this and yeah but and it, but it, the the take home was is that it was super fun and yeah. i enjoyed i enjoyed using it and people thought it was really neat um but then uh but then i started to think about well what, you know it would be really cool if i could play you know my favorite guitar uh with this kind of functionality right and not you know this kind of frankenstein i created and then started <laughs> asking another question a separate question of could i make it modular did, did you, uh, when you went started that first, uh, uh, you know, 1.0 of Jam, Jamstack, how heavy was it? So you mean the amp or the guitar? Well, the whole thing, once you put it together, like, did you, did you say, oh my gosh, I can only play this for like 10 minutes before it's going to break my arms? <laughs> No, no, no. See, I started again with design. You kind of start with that as your constraint. You're like, you know what? Well, what are the things that you can't be right? Okay. Like, it was like, well, you know, I, so I actually initially, when I was first um, making my amplifier, I took a heart, uh, a Tupperware container <laughs> and I, I filled it with a bunch of nuts and bolts Brilliant. And, and I duct taped it onto the back of my guitar and I kept adding pieces and taking until I was like, you know what? That doesn't bug me. I can't feel this. Nice. Uh, 
this is what we can't go any heavier here. And then I started looking for, you know, speakers and adding everything up that that was less than that amount of weight. <laughs>